All right. Hello. Welcome to another installment of On Deck presented by Deep Dive Sports. My name is Greg. Shout out to uh, our friend Preston Ryan uh, for coming up with today's topics, uh, especially the Hall of Fame. He kind of had a discussion with me about Pete Rose and the Hall of Fame. And so that kind of led to picking that topic and going along with that. So thank you, Preston, for giving us some insight and some material to use. So we're going to start off with talking about the Hall of Fame and snubs and bans. But first, I want to start with actually giving you guys a rundown of what it takes to actually get into the Hall of Fame and what it, the criteria for it is. So as stated, players are currently inducted into the Hall of Fame through election by either the Baseball Writers Association or the Veterans Committee, which now consists of four subcommittees, each of which considers and votes for candidates from a separate era of baseball. Candidates to be eligible must meet the following requirements. A player, a baseball player must have been active as a baseball player in the major leagues at some point during the period beginning 20 years before and ending five years prior to election. Player must have played in at least 10 major league seasons. Players shall have ceased to be an active player in the major leagues at least five counties preceding the election but may otherwise be small so they can be a coach or something like that in the case of death of an active player or a player who has been retired for less than five full years the candidate who is otherwise eligible shall be eligible in the next regular election held at least six months after the date of death or after the end of the five-year period whichever comes first and this kind of leads to what we we're going to discuss later with the bands and stuff. Any player on baseball's ineligible list shall not be eligible candidate. So we'll start off with, we've got a roughly 10 players who we think that should be in the hall of fame, but kind of have been snubbed and or banned and some of the reasons behind it. So I'm going to start off with one guy, I think Thurman Munson. Uh, Munson passed away in 1979 when a plane that he was piloting crashed. He was a seven-time All-Star, won three gold gloves, 1970 AL Rookie of the Year, and 1976 AL MVP, and he caught for two World Series champions. He was also a captain of the New York Yankees. While he quite hasn't built a Hall of Fame resume at the time of his death, he was well on his way and definitely somebody who should be considered you know, you're part of championship teams. You're a captain of the Yankees. It's just one of those things that, you know, I really believe that he's a guy that should have possibly be considered for the, the Hall of Fame committee. What do you think, Nick? It's uh, super unfortunate that, you know, obviously you pass away kind of partially through your career there, especially if you're building up to that point where if you were to, you know, extend his average stat line out until probably when the average time that a player retires, and if he would have been sitting there right around a lot of people who have been inducted in the Hall of Fame, I do think that, that yeah, he probably should be given an opportunity to be on the ballot and to be, to be voted in. I don't, was he on the past ballot? I didn't see him on there. Yeah, I didn't see him on there either. I didn't see him on there. So I don't know if, I don't know if he was on the ballot in the, in the past and maybe he just didn't get that 5%. I think it would be right around 5% in order to be on. But, like you said, maybe maybe their reasoning behind it is just because he didn't play, you know, he didn't put together that full career and doesn't have that full stat line. And maybe they just don't view extending that out in the same way as maybe other people. 
Yeah, and then that's what I, I definitely like about the veterans committee is that it, it it takes players from different eras and you know farther back eras and kind of reevaluates what their stats were and we you know what their capabilities were and kind of gives them that little extra push that that maybe they you know they needed so that's that hopefully something you know in this future uh the next we're going to talk about is sammy sosa sammy sosa is one of only nine men in major league history to have 600 career home runs but Unfortunately, he is part of this steroid area, which you're going to see a trend in in this list of of players that have uh, probably won't make it based on being part of the Mitchell Report. Uh, the steroid era baseball kind of tarnished their legacy and their careers. But he definitely, you know, you got to think at the time, you know, he was part of that McGuire was that 1998 season where they were in that home run race and. You know, he he brought popularity to baseball in so many calibers. You know, fantastic player, fantastic personality for for you know not only Major League Baseball but the Chicago Cubs and City of Chicago, and and he, he helped put baseball on the map again. You know, when things were still not you know 100 percent after the the strike season of '94, I believe '93, '94. I forget which one. So. But again, that Mitchell report kind of snubbed him off, and it's highly unlikely that he'll he'll get on. But he's had the career, even regardless of steroids, that that you would can be considered. I don't know. I, I guess I guess when you kind of look at it, it's like that whole. Um, I think we talked about it with um, with the whole sticky substance last last episode, and whether or not some of these you know guys would they would start to slip off, and then that that notion of, of the the painting of their their legacy of, of, of the stats that they've been able to put up. And th- this is kind of similar in a sense and even more deeper within baseball. And you can even say similar things about the, the sticky substances that pitchers use. The league did the same thing with the steroids. They didn't really police it as much. They didn't really make it out to be this big, huge thing until they needed to, until it was like, until somebody was breaking the home run record every single game or every single, you know, month or whatever it may be. And they were kind of like, and all the fans were like, well, this is kind of weird. And, and it's just, and then they, and then they went and made a big deal about it. So it's kind of one of those like, you know, catch 22 things where you're like, yes, you technically probably shouldn't have been doing steroids, but at the same time, nobody really did anything about it until it was already kind of too far into some people's careers. So yeah, I can see why they're going to hold it against, you know, Sammy Sosa and some of the others that we're going to talk about later on the list. But at the same time, if it wasn't policed, it was something that was kind of like, hey, yeah, keep doing it because we like all these home runs. And it was a part of it was almost a part of the game, which is really kind of weird to say because people will be like, well, they were. but it was it was a part of the game. The steroids were part of the game. People using sticky substances was a part of the game. People knew that people were doing it. They didn't care. It was just it was just another thing that people did to play the game. So, like I said, it's kind of a catch-22 thing. In my opinion, if you look at it and you're like, you can be like, yeah, your stats are a little conflated because maybe you were juicing a little bit. But at the same time, you still did it. You know what I mean? So what are you going to do? Tell them that he didn't do it because they still hit all those home runs. Yeah, Definitely, definitely an interesting thing to, to kind of look at. I mean, everybody has their own opinions on it either side. All right, next on uh, the list is Rafael Palmero. Uh, he, Palmero, finished his career with 
3,020 hits and 569 home runs. He's also part of the Mitchell Report. The sad part is, is he was the poster child of the Mitchell Report in Congress and being in front of Congress and defiantly, defiantly told Congress just before the season that he was not using. And then it comes out that he was. He just kind of had that egg on his face. It really kind of, it, you know, at least with somebody else that we'll talk about a little bit later, you know, just said, I'd rather, you know, plead the fifth and not talk about it rather than somebody that just said, I, I, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Oh, oh crap. I did do it. <laughs> that sucks. Cause he definitely was probably like, they were like, yo, just, just lie about it. It won't come out. You're fine. You're good. He needs some news. Those are some bad lawyers. It's like that's like rule number one client doesn't talk or like just be quiet i'll talk for you but yeah he's probably never gonna get on the ballot again that stigma behind it especially since he kind of lied about it it's it's different it's different when you sit there and you go like eh, yeah sorry than being like nah man i didn't do it yeah no. when when you're defiantly just no. saying saying it, it it kind of like a little bit of a <laughs> And he's like, nah, man, not me. I didn't do that. That's not me. Oh, oh, wait. Yep. That was me. And then you like, you find out about it from another person and you're like, man, why didn't you just say something? He's definitely getting on the ballot. Well, next on our list is actually the person who just was advised by his lawyer to not say anything. And that's Mark McGuire. He had a career 263 average, which is not like super amazing. But his on-base percentage was 394. Uh, his slugging percentage was 588. 584 home runs. I mean, that makes up for his batting average being what it was. Also on the Mitchell report. So, but again, he was one of the ones that was advised by his lawyer to say, I shouldn't talk about this, so I'm not going to. I mean, there's there's no reason to, there's no reason to say anything. I mean, I know it looks bad, too. I mean, it, it looks... It doesn't look as bad as sitting there being like, nah, I didn't do that. And then it coming out that you did. But it it just just be like, hey, I'm not going to talk about it until like I probably have to. So when it came out, whether or not, you know what I mean? A lot of these guys still probably were like, ah, whatever. And they're not going to, they'll never talk about it until. I mean, and I think like Sammy Sosa has done an interview, a couple interviews where he's, you know, addressed those issues and stuff like that. And, you know. And again, half of these things that they were taking at the time weren't necessarily banned and they didn't think that they were necessarily like weren't some of it wasn't considered story steroids at the time. So well, that's, that's what I'm saying. It was like it was so it was so a part of the game at the time. And like I can understand sitting there being like you had an call. I guess you can call it an unfair advantage, but everybody had the option to use it or not. You know what I mean? It's not like. It's not like some people weren't given the opportunity. Everybody, everybody in the league, could have juiced if they wanted to with, with with this with similar substances. So, I get looking back at it now, the connotation behind it and everything. And obviously, you know, cheating is cheating. Having an advantage is having an. But if they would have just came out and been like, "This is so much a part of the game. If you want us to stop doing it, you know, we'll stop doing it." But I don't see how you can punish us now. Haven't in the past. If you're going to make a rule about it, then make a rule about it, and we'll adjust, and that's how it'll go. I mean, it's kind of like a similar situation to the sticky substances. They made a rule about it. They may have done it in the middle of the season, which was kind of a little bit janky, but they did it, and now everybody has to adjust and follow it. You know what I mean? And they're not, they're not going to go back and be like, oh, all those guys that, that were using it, you're done. Your legacy's done. All those stats you had, they're done. 
there's an asterisk there. You know what I mean? They're, they're not doing that. So I just feel like this whole thing, I feel like because on both sides, it was like, hey, we're going to crack down on this way too hard. And then the other side was like, no, no, I didn't do this. No, no. Like they were trying to cover it up. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like it could have been handled. But Okay. Next on the list, and sticking with the steroid era and the PED era, is Roger Clemens. Clemens retired with a 3.12 ERA. 4,672 strikeouts and a record seven Cy Young awards, which he won with four different teams. Again, part of the steroid area, steroid era, and you know, you could arguably say that, that especially late in his career, what he was able to accomplish that late in his career could not have been done without performance enhancing substances. One of the things I think find about Roger Clemens is that even in his tenure at Boston, that's a Hall of Fame career right there. Even if he would have retired after that, you know, he obviously went on to the Yankees, the Astros, and put up great numbers with them and, you know, won championships and all that. But even his Boston career was was what you'd be considered Hall of Fame in, in some categories. So that's one where, where I definitely almost lean back towards he put up those stats mm-hmm. well before it's even documented that he did, did PEDs, and that should be looked at. Yeah, I mean, when you look at back at um at the ballot this past year of voting, you know him and him and Bonds were were two and three with the most votes. So obviously, I think people are still kind of on the fence with with him. Um, maybe kind of like you are. They look at those those ten years and they're like probably like you said, Hall of Fame Hall of Fame years in those ten years. And then you get into the next part of it where he is a part of that era. So you can kind of see that you know, he's at the top of that, <laughs> that voting list, but he's not getting over the hump. So it's definitely interesting. I'm curious to see if one day, finally, some of these guys get over the hump or sit in ballot purgatory forever. <laughs> yeah. And it's possible, like I said, years down the road, the the veterans categories can do something. It'd be nice to have it done before you know, they pass on. Obviously that's you know many, many years for all of them, but you know, you'd like to be able to see your, yourself in there. Moving on, next on the list, and again, sticking with the PEDs, is Barry Bonds. When 1998 ended, Bonds was a 290 hitter, um, 556 career hitter. He had 411 home runs and 445 steals. He was part of eight all-star teams, and that was just when 1998 ended. Then you move on to past that, and that's when, this is, again, it's, it's kind of a similar aspect of... of Clemens, where he put up these Hall of Fame career numbers early on in his career, and then this the PED stuff started, and he padded to his numbers, but it 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 tarnished that a little bit. You know, obviously he's part of the only he's the only player to be part of the 500, 500 club and the four hundred four hundred club. It, it's one where you know he, he's obviously has the record with an asterisk for most home runs, you know, by a player. That's where I'm kind of on the fence. I think more what bothers me about Bonds, though, is just his arrogance about it, his attitude about it. And you say what you want as a player, but as a person, he, he's always been kind of a jerk to not only the, the press, but the public in general, that, that people that you know, support baseball and support the Giants. He kind of always went about it, about it just in a very smarmy, kind of arrogant way that, that Robbed me the wrong way. Whereas, like I said, with somebody like Roger Clemens, wasn't necessarily you know attitude or or 
arrogance and he, he wasn't rude, but Bonds just was. And so I don't know if that that'll keep him off just attitude wise alone. I don't I don't think it's I don't think that attitude is keeping him off. Because I, I think if he wasn't wrapped up in, in the whole PED conversation, then I, I think he would have already been. You know, you talk about like Bonds and Clemens and Sosa, like those those three guys alone, what they, you know what I mean, what they were able to do um, in their careers, especially when you talk about Clemens and Bonds, when you're talking about the first part of their careers before they get to that PED, uh, you know, part of their careers that's kind of tarnishing it. They were already putting up, you know, good good numbers to great numbers. And we don't know if they were using before, you know what I mean? Obviously we can't tell, but, um, but it's just one of those things that they'll, they'll probably always be at the top of the, the, the voting list, but they'll never get over that hump. So until, until you're right, until maybe like the veterans committee sits down and goes like, Hey, like, yes, we understand the circumstances behind it, but, but, but these guys specifically, some of their numbers hopefully weren't conflated. You know what I mean? And oh, yeah. the, the numbers that we think were conflated probably would be good enough to get them in anyway. So let's go ahead and put them in on that merit and have a good day. But like I said, they, they might just sit there in, in ballot purgatory until they either get kicked off or they decide to to take themselves off altogether. All right, next on the list is Kurt Schilling. I This is the one that bothers me the most. He is posted a 3.46 ERA. 3,116 strikeouts. He's, you know, a world champion with the Diamondbacks and with the Red Sox. He is a leader. He's, you know, just a phenomenal guy. But his outspoken political views have gotten him in, I would say, some hot water. Maybe you agree with him. Maybe you don't. That's irrelevant to this conversation. His numbers speak for themselves he's not part of the ped era he's he's never been anything but uh you know a, a man of baseball and just because he had some views on something that maybe the baseball writers association people don't agree with as a whole that should not be keeping him off the 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 ballot you know you look at his stats you know next to glavin and next to maddox they're almost identical and those are you know, first ballot Hall of Famers with 91%, 97% of the votes. And now we've got Schilling saying that, you know what, this is my eighth year on the list. And guess what? Guys, take me off. I don't want to be on it. I don't, I don't care. You've obviously shown that, you know, you're in that, that respect in that I, so he has to be off the list. And that's just a shame that he is somebody that, rightfully deserves to be in the hall of fame you know yes I, I get not first ballot hall of fame maybe not even second ballot but by this long you should have been past that mark and been inducted you know that's that just bothers me a lot yeah I, I definitely agree that he should probably be on at this point this year they didn't even vote anybody <laughs> to be inducted in so if you're looking at the list of people that were on it to be have a chance to be inducted into the hall of fame. If you were only going to do one person, maybe he was the person that you put in. Like he got really close. He got 71.1%. So he was like a little less than, than a uh, 5% away or sorry, a little less than, than 4% away. So it's like, I, I don't know. And I, I get that. I get that you want to take a totality of, of a person's career, 
and maybe they're maybe they like to look at the outside the baseball world as well because maybe that's important for them and I, I guess you are being inducted into what's considered to, to them into many a, a prestigious kind of organization or, or prestigious you want to call it like a group <laughs> but and then maybe to them that outside stuff is, is important but you're just gonna you're gonna induct somebody into a baseball hall of fame to me you should induct them off of their play in baseball now i'll preface that by saying obviously there are things on the outside that you can do that can prevent you from being inducted Cor- in the hall. correct i'm not saying that it doesn't matter what you do on the outside but i'm saying that there's not very many things realistically that you can do that would probably keep you that would that would tarnish what you did on the field on the outside especially having political views unless you come out to me if you're coming out blatantly as as a discriminatory person i can understand why they would you know attach that character trait and be like well we don't really want you a part of our group because yeah i mean if you put out racist tweets or stuff like that or you know openly discriminated against something somebody or you know a certain group i I get that and i want to make sure that i i say that this kurt schilling is the one that's arguing this fact it's not the baseball association's not coming out and say we're not putting him in because of this oh okay but Schilling is is arguing that that is w- one of the reasons why he's not necessarily been inducted is because of his political views. So okay, so he he just thinks that, and you know what? Maybe he's just feeling a certain kind of way because, like you said, he he did say he's like I don't even want to be on it next year. I'm done. Like take me off, get me out of here. And I I guess I'll, I'll leave it on this: when you are a player and you put together a career, everybody thinks that they put together. A good career. I think that some people can look back and be like, ah, I didn't put together the greatest career, but I did my best. But there, most players would be like, I, I had a good career. I did, a, I did a lot of good things. I played pretty well. I'm pretty proud of myself. Obviously, there's instances where I could have done better. But then you have people who are, you know, in position to be even in conversation to be in the Hall of Fame. And those guys don't need to be told that, that they had great. You know what I mean? They know it. Everybody else can look at the stats and they can see. So I don't know why we're tiptoeing around this one, especially when they didn't conduct anybody. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, correct. I mean, one person, maybe like I, I can understand not doing bonds. I can understand not doing Clemens or Sosa or, you know, some of the others that were part of that PED era. Like I can understand that stigma behind it, but this one, this one definitely to me is, is kind of, is really the only like big snub from this year on this list when I was looking at it. Like, I was like, that probably, that probably should have gotten done. And then to be asked to be taken off the ballot when it's plausible that next year they, he could get the 75%. So, and I don't, I haven't read anything where they have said, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll take you off. No, no worries. Good. You know, so I don't, I, they could do it again next year and, you know, keep put him on there and, and he doesn't really have a choice in that. So um, if you do know that information, put it in the comments on in Instagram and on our and Facebook and let us know if uh, that did happen or not. All right, moving on. We've talked about snubs. We've talked about you know all that, but we're actually going to, the last two that we're going to talk about are talking about bands, people that are actually banned and 
technically can never make it into the Hall of Fame at all. And arguably, these two people are two of the best players to ever play the game of baseball ever. I'll start with the first one. Joe Jackson, also known as Shoeless Joe Jackson, was one of the eight members of the 1919 Chicago White Sox that threw the World Series and received a lifetime ban because of it. He was arguably the greatest player of all time. Again, stats before then were phenomenal. All that, he's been immortalized in movies and books, Field of Dreams, all that stuff. He is permanently banned and will never make it to the Hall of Fame. And that's kind of a tragedy because he, like I said, was probably one of the greatest players that ever have played in that era of baseball. And last on our list, and again, one of the reasons why we're having this conversation, thanks to Preston, was Pete Rose. Pete Rose, Charlie Hustle, Mr. Red, you know, just a phenomenal guy. 4,256 hits. It's a major league record. I think that even in 150 years, we're not going to see that again. Three-time World Series champ, 17-time All-Star, two gold gloves, NL Rookie of the Year in 63, and MVP in 75. But he was banished from baseball in 1989 for betting his team. Now, this is uh, an argument that I'm not 100% against or for. Rose says he never bet against his team. He never, as a, he said, also said he never bet as a player. He only bet as a, and that he never bet against his team. He liked to bet on basketball. He liked to bet on everything. But when he did bet on baseball, he bet on the Reds to win. In an interview with the Dan Patrick show in 2007, I believe, you know, Rose said, I bet on my team every night. I didn't bet on my team four nights a week. I bet on my team to win every night because I love my team. I believed in my team. I did everything in my power every night to win that game. Now, the rule says uh, if you bet, it doesn't say it for or against. It's another vice, device by Pete Rose to try to excuse what he did. But when you bet, it's done. His financial interest was ahead of the Reds, regardless of winning or losing, period. I can see that argument. I can I can see that, you know, why they wouldn't like that. But at the same time, it's like, it's not like he was on a, you know what I mean? It's not like he was on a bad team. It's not like you were sitting there like, oh, we were losing every night because we were garbage. And he was like, you know what? I'm just going to go bet against the team. You know what I mean? Put all my money down every single night that we're going to lose because I know that we're, you know, dog doo-doo. But like, and we don't know, you know what I mean? He could say that he bet for them to win every single time. And we'd be like, well, I trust you because you're a good person. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that, that Major League Baseball said, well, we don't have any proof of that for or against. If we had definitive proof that you didn't bet against them and that you, you know, but there is no definitive proof that you did or not. It's basically exactly. we're taking their word. Yeah, it's that it's that purposeful that really. But I mean, it's not like when you look back at his career, it's not like he. Like he had a good career. <laughs> like he had, he. I mean, he, one of the probably one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Yeah, like it's not. I mean, it's it's like today, if like if if like Mike Trout was found, at, you know what I mean. We're getting towards the end of his career, and and they found out that he was betting, you know, on on Angels game, and it's like it's like there's there's no way that he was betting for them to lose, and then he was going out there, even if he was betting for them to lose, it's not like he went out there and played bad because he's one of the most consistent you know, baseball players of all time. And we're, we, some people talk about him as being the greatest baseball player of all time because of how consistently good he is. 
So it's like there's 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 just too much going on. People are worried about it a little bit too much. Let's just get down the nitty gritty of it, play some baseball, and have fun. But I mean, that's weird. That's a weird one. And you and nobody thinks to save their receipts. Like you're like, ah, I don't want to receive. Even, no, especially when you're betting with a bookie and you know what I mean? It's, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's a lot more, um, I don't want to say digitized nowadays with yeah. everything's being, you know, with DraftKings and all this stuff that we yeah. have that you can, it's, it's, whereas, you know, back then, even, you know, in the late eighties, it was calling, you know, Joey down the street and, and placing your bets you know so it was just a little different than than it is now yeah it's weird i mean and plus like most players like they kind of just they kind of get into that like sports betting world when they're done with sport and i i mean I, the only people that like i know that bet on themselves or or whatever like i like ufc boxers mma like they, they bet on themselves a lot like i forget who it was who put like a couple million down on himself to win a fight this past year did charles barkley did some parlay bet he uh was in some golf tournament over the weekend and there was some parlay bet where he didn't necessarily have to win but he had to like be in the like the top five or something like that and he's like yeah i put 20 grand down that's an easy bet i can make the top five like why not <laughs> so like okay that's you know like so it, it's out there all right so we'll let us know what you guys think you can comment on our posts on facebook instagram and all that let us know if you agree with any of these. Did we miss somebody? And let us know. So speaking of Shohei Otani, do you believe he is a real deal? Or do you believe this, this is flash in the pan? He's just going to fizzle out after a couple more years and you won't really hear much of him. I think depending on how he continues to play, if he continues to be a pitcher slash batter, or if he just goes strictly to batting, if, if he... Just go strictly to batting. I think he's, you know, obviously the real deal. I mean, the dude's leading the league in home runs right now, and he's got what thirty-two home runs, and we're not even in August yet. I mean, he he's hitting the cover off the ball. He's hitting for average too. He's getting on base. So offensively, I mean, he's arguably the best in the game right now. But if you look at his pitching, I mean, he's just an average pitcher. For being honest, he's got a three twenty-one ERA, and I think his WHIP is like a one point sixteen. So, uh, according to MLB stats, he would be like the he has a thirty thirty third or thirty second ranked WHIP in the league, and he's not even top twenty five in innings pitched. So, I mean, just off of pitching, he's kind of just average, but his his offensive game is just out of this world. Uh, and, but we haven't seen a player like this decades, if not you know you know since the likes of Babe Ruth that somebody can be that two way type of player where they're they're <laughs> batting and they're decent at pitching obviously you said he's 33rd yeah. how many pitchers are out there in mlb and yeah do you I mean, think the, that it's something that he's going to give one of those up like do you think he'll give up pitching and rely strictly on on his bat further on down the road or do you think he's going to continue to be that two-way player that we're seeing right now i think i mean he's 27 right now i can see him keep trying to do this two-way stuff for and maybe three or four years, but if he was to give either one of one of the two pitching or batting up, he would obviously. I think he would give up pitching. I mean, he is a good pitcher, but I think his offensive abilities far outweigh his pitching abilities. Well, what do you mm -hmm. think? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, I I like his story, and and I I think that that he's plausible to 
to continue it for another couple of years. But I think down the road, something's going to give. And like you said, pitching is going to be, you know, he's, he's had a phenomenal career to start coming in, being 2018 American League Rookie of the Year. Uh, you know, I find it interesting that the, the team that let him out of the Nippon Professional uh, Pacific League, if they would have held on to him for like another year or so that he could have signed a non-rookie type contract through MLB and could have had a, like a 200 million multi-year contract. Um, but when they posted him up, he still falls under that under 25 rookie category. Yeah. So the, the signing rules. So his, uh, his bonus was, I think, capped at like 3.5 million because that's that limited, you know, rookie scale on salary. And then you had, I mean, everybody fighting over him. I think it came down to he picked Angels, the Dodgers, the Giants, Padres, Mariners. I want to say the Rangers and the Cubs settled with the Angels, who gave him a two point three million dollar signing bono. Yeah. Obviously, he's you know made history by becoming the first player selected uh, to an All Star game as both a position player and a pitcher. I mean, that alone. That's incredible. You're setting history. He was, uh, I think, voted. He's, is that correct? That he was voted on by the players to be the pitcher. Yep. And I just some of the things that I, I find really interesting, and and this is kind of what sparked my thing of like, can he be this just amazing person, and is he just you know the real deal? This this was over a week, like not even that, actually six days. This happened back in June, but it was still really interesting. You know, I read this article, and then I was like, I, it blew my mind that on Tuesday, June fifteenth. He homered. It was a 6-4 loss to Oakland, but still homered, so he had that. He had two hits, including another homer and a stolen base that next day on Wednesday. Thursday, he was a starting pitcher, and he threw six one-run innings against Detroit and drew two walks while uh, hitting second in the lineup. And on Friday, he was back at DH. He homered again twice after, or like hours after he was announced to be participating in a home run derby. And then Saturday, another homer. It was the first time in a hundred years anyone had hit five homers and picked up a win within a week. And then just as an exclamation point on all of that, that Sunday, he homered again. So I just, yeah. to me, it's just amazing what he's been doing right now. Yeah. I, I think he can hold on for a little bit and, and do that two way player, but we'll see. So moving on to our third topic, something happened last night that has never happened before in major league baseball postseason history. Two players hit a grand slam in the same postseason game. And it wasn't just, you know, first innings, ninth inning type of heroics type of craziness. These grand slams happened in the first and second inning. So you had J.D. Martinez, the bottom of the first, bases loaded, hit a grand slam to the center field and just blew it, blew it open. And if you saw it come off his bat... It wasn't really sure that it was going to get out of the park. I I thought for sure that it was just going to be, you know, a sacrifice, sacrifice fly type of situation and we get you know, one runner home. But it, it just it went out and it was that grand slam. And then that next inning, Raphael Devers, same thing, bases loaded. I think there was only one out in his particular bat. I think there was two outs in J.D. Martinez's bat. And same thing with Raphael Devers, bases loaded. And this one was a hooking left one it could have you know if the breeze was blowing a little bit differently it would have been a foul ball but it hooked and went right around the the, the foul pole 
they called it a, a home run so it was another grand slams two grand slams in one postseason game never happened before ever absolutely amazing i mean just the, the odds of it happening are astronomical you know grand, grand slams themselves are pretty rare let alone let alone two in one game all right that that's that's a huge momentum swing for the for the Red Sox. Not only for that game, but I think I think it could be something that carries with them for the rest of the series. You know, it's 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 historic. You're probably never going to see it again, honestly. Yeah, I mean, not not normal. Like I said, when I when I you know you, you think of these things, oh, oh that's well, no, he's not going to do it. Being like, oh, look, I got the bases loaded again. Okay, well, we'll you know, we'll, we'll we'll see if we can get something out of this. You know. And just to have it to have it twice is, is yeah. beyond amazing to watch. You know, to be able to watch it in our lifetimes, like you said, it is just something that's super special. We won't see it again for a long time. Well, with that being said, with our luck, it's going to happen again tomorrow night. Yeah. With that being said, life does go on, but this podcast does end. So <laughs> I wanted to thank you, Dominic, for sitting in uh, for the third installment of On Deck, presented by Deep Dive Sports. So my name is Greg. Dom. We'll see you next time. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you would like to hear more, feel free to listen to past episodes and look for new ones every Friday. And don't forget to follow us at deep.dive.sports on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for any update. And please let us know what you would like us to take a deep dive into next. As always, we are Deep Dive Sports. Until next time.